0: welcome to the brian thomas cropp podcast my name is brian thomas cropp and i believe that stories have a tremendous power for good so i write them and i enjoy sharing them with you uh if you're new to the podcast sort of how things roll is in just a little bit i'll read a chapter from a story that i wrote and then once that chapter is over, I'll do a little of a behind the scenes on either uh, what goes into writing a book, what went into writing that particular chapter, uh, maybe there's some Easter eggs in there, um, and, and so on. So I'm glad that you are here. I was watching a, a comedy special by a guy named Robert Mack, and if you have never heard of a guy called Robert Mack, you should totally check this, this guy out. He is, um, he's unlike any comedian that I have seen in a super, very long time. Lots of puns, lots of just brain twisty humor, a lot of fun. Um, but he has, uh, one bit that he has is that he introduces himself as being Robert Mack from robertmack.com. And, um, I had half a mind to start off this show that way that I'm Brian Thomas crop from briantomascropp.com. Um, but I am also that, and if you've never been to bryantthomascrop.com, you should go. Uh, we've got some good stuff over there. Um, but this uh, chapter, I, I warned you about this last week, and I will continue warning you because I don't know how this is going to go. But... Uh, Back in 2018, 2019, right now, as we're recording this, it is 2021, uh, but back then, I had finished this book, my first novel called Showdown in the Yukon, and I recorded uh, about 23 chapters for an audiobook. and actually, I recorded all of the book, but I had edited 23 chapters before life got crazy and uh, i just gave up on the whole effort and then i started the podcast and uh, all of the chapters up till now that you've he- heard have been those previously two three-year-old recording edits of of the thing and i don't remember how i processed the audio it is really the thing so um, i did what i did with chapter 24 and we'll see how that goes uh, i hope that it is not too jarring for you If you are just joining us, uh, this is a chapter from Showdown in the Yukon, uh, which, as I already said, was my first novel, and it is an adventure story, and it uh, stars this uh, teenage kid uh, named Monterey Jack Danvers, and he is an ex-pickpocket who has been hired by his old pickpocketing con man partner named Max Sutherland, and they are helping out. Mrs. Gladys Finch and her daughter, Lucy, to reclaim a gold claim in the Yukon up there in the Northwest Territory, Canada, Alaska, not long after the gold rush back in the 1800s. And uh, from the moment that Monterey got hired, it's been one thing after another. They've been in and out of scrapes. Right now, uh, they are inches away uh, from if they can just get through this forest then um, they're sort of in the clear, they're trying to get to a place called Penny Canyon, Uh, that uh, if they can get there before the first snowfall uh, of the year, that'd be really good. And they're now stuck in a forest and uh, some dangers have befallen them and Monterey has to get them out. So uh, that is where we find our cast of characters. I hope that you enjoy this and then stick around for the end of the chapter when we uh, go a little on a deeper dive on what went into the making of this chapter. But first, here are this week's sponsors. There is someone that I want you to meet and his name is Casey Jackson. If you are unfamiliar with Casey Jackson, I do have a son named Casey Jackson, but I love the name and I thought it sounded like a really good name for a spy. And so I wrote a series of four books uh, with a character named Casey Jackson. And uh, he goes to a town called Southacre. And in a four book series, uh, he has to uncover not only a dastardly plot, but stop the villain uh, from pulling this off. It sounds like an adventure, and it is but it's a lot of fun. It has a lot of uh, jokes and humor. It's a lot of uh, tongue in cheek, uh, but it's also a crime noir. And so if you like some of that cloak and dagger stuff, I think you're really going to enjoy Casey Jackson in South Acre. You can find the links to that in the show notes and over at amazon.com and always over there at BrianThomasCrop.com. I hope you check it out. Chapter 24 Monterey ducked behind the brush to see the situation more clearly. The first gangly man walked up to the net, grabbed a section of rope and gave it a spin to get a better view of his catch. He stood with his fisted hands on his hips, almost looking like a farmer pleased with the bounty of his fields. Then he shimmied up a tree. An instant later the two nets thumped to the earth without poetry or concern. The fall produced one benefit, as it seemed to jolt Mac and the finches out of whatever knocked them out. Monterey breathed a sigh of relief as he was now certain his friends were still alive. Tie the ropes together and we can pull both at once, said the second one, and bring your mule closer. Monterey tried to speed up his thinking, but no plan came to mind. He knew he had to come up with something quick before the nets got dragged even farther away from Pete's path, but how to do it without getting caught himself? Monterey took a quick look back to remind himself where the fire was burning. He thought he recognized an orange flicker in the distance and hoped it was still the fire and not another illusion. Swinging his gaze back to his captured companions, Monterey's vision of the next few moments slowed down again just like it had back in the cave with the strange man in black. However, he was surprised to see himself standing in this slower vision. In his mind's eye, he saw himself standing right where he was, and over his head he waved a small light. Monterey wondered what sort of vision this was. Was this aid from the pearl or a strange opiate of the forest that made people see strange things? The hand clenching the pearl now began to grow hotter and hotter till Monterey was forced to open his hand and drop it. He cried in pain involuntarily and quickly placed his hand over his mouth. Monterey crouched down as close to the ground as he could. You hear that, Bo? said one. I'm not gonna fall for another of your fool ghost stories tonight, said the other. You know how I get... Daddy's been all through this place and he wouldn't have settled us here if we were in any real danger. What if we aren't alone? What do you mean? Asked Bo. What if there are more of them? Bo mocked his brother with expert skill. We got our rifles, right? We know this forest and they don't, right? Besides, if there were others wouldn't they have stopped in already? When are you finally going to believe I know what I'm doing here? Now, come on and stop wasting time. The two men got back to work, tying the two nets together. Monterey let out his breath and relaxed his body a little. His friends were counting on him. The safety, if not the very lives of his friends, were dependent on that one fact whether they knew it or not. Monterey looked down and saw the pearl lying on the ground as plain as day, its pale blue glow quite visible in the forest's overgrown darkness. He smiled to himself and thought, The tiny light and swooped it up and pinched it between his thumb and forefinger. Monterey stood up and waved it back and forth, just like in his vision, but the two men just kept on working. "'You know how I get with all that ghost talk,' grunted Bo. "'Now I can't even think straight.' "'I don't know what you're going on about,' said the other. "'We both know there ain't no ghosts.' "'That's not true.' Bo stopped his work and pointed a finger straight at his brother. "'That's not true, and you know it. "'All these tribes around the area.' their chance, their magic. Sometimes i walk through here and know someone is following me, but then I'll look and no one's there. It raises the hair on my neck, I tell you. Monterey did not know if there were ghosts in the forest or not, but it certainly gave him an idea. One of the vital skills in swindling a person is knowing when to exploit a situation to better swindle a person. Monterey was not good at that skill. That's why he enjoyed pickpocketing. All he had to do was bump into someone to rob them blind. Follow the plan, make some money. Simple, clean. But this whole trip had gone so far away from any agenda he had signed up for that he was starting to get better at adjusting his expectations to fit the situation. Monterey decided, for better or worse, to become a forest ghost. He imagined what a spirit might sound like if it was condemned to an eternity of wandering this forsaken place and began to moan, As he made his spectral noises, he slowly moved the pearl this way and that through the branches around him. Monterey hoped the forest was dark enough so the two men would only see the pearl's light. Otherwise, he would look like a fool and get captured along with the others. The last thing they needed was to spend any more time away from Pete's path than necessary. If he got caught too, he did not want to think about what would happen after that. The two men either did not hear Monterey's sounds or they attributed the noises to some other forest dweller, so he started to move from mere sounds to words. Leave them be, he said in a shrill moan, and we're coming for you with a raspy howl. Finally, he tried, we know what you've done, repeating the word done a few times as if there really might be several spirits in attendance. Eventually Monterey heard the second one say, Real funny. Stop fooling around and get these nets tied to the mule. The first brother replied with more than a hinge of fear in his voice. I didn't say nothing. The two men stood in silence. Monterey had run out of things to say, so he stood there silently too, hoping to think of something to scare them into running away, all the while waving the bright pearl back and forth. Probably just the wind then, said one do you see that? Is that one of ours? No, said the other. I blew out the other candles. What is it? said Beau. Monterey saw another vision of himself. This time, he threw a rock at the strangers. He shook his head to clear out the vision and felt a fist-sized stone under his foot. Without another hesitation, Monterey picked up a rock and threw it at the men. His finger held the rock a moment too long, and he cringed as the rock barely missed the net before connecting with Beau's knee. Beau hollered. Hey! What was that for? What was what for? Monterey filled his lungs with air and, moving the lustrous pearl through the darkness with growing confidence, said, The trees! The trees have told us what you've done! Monterey could not believe this plan was distracting these hillbillies. "'Leave them be, or we will have to deal with you!' He dragged out the ewe till it had a similar sound to some of the old men who used to sing down at the Hayes' house, warbly and wild. "'That don't sound like no wind,' said the first man. "'I might have to agree with you,' said Bo. "'Look at that light over there. That don't seem like no wind either.' Monterey continued to move the glowing pearl around in the dark. It was working. It was actually working. Suppose this forest really is haunted, said Beau, before cutting himself off. Daddy says it ain't, said the other. Daddy's been wrong about other facts, too. The tone of his voice was going up by the second. Well, he continued, I figure in Instead of messing with our rifles, we best high-tail it out of here before things go from bad to worse. If there ain't no ghosts here, these nets'll keep. With that, he took off running, leaving Bo behind. Bo, realizing he was all alone, quickly started running as well. A moment later, there were two cries and in silence as they had tripped another net trap they had laid. They also made no sounds or movements. Curious, Monterey thought, as he pocketed the pearl and strode to his captured friends. Once he was about the task of freeing his friends from their nets, he finally realized what made these nets so cruel. The ropes gave off fumes or a fragrance, Monterey could never tell which, that made him feel light headed and in desperate need of a nap. He brought his nose nearer for a big sniff and the fumes burned his nostrils. Monterey took Lucy's handkerchief out of his pocket. With one hand, he held it over his mouth and nose while he worked the knots with the other. It was frustrating work, but eventually, Monterey was able to free his friends One by one, he dragged them away from the nets and laid them down on the mossy dirt of the forest floor. None of them was yet fully awake. The longer each of them was able to breathe healthy air, the more they began to stir, sit up, and talk. Once they were all back to normal, Monterey told them what happened and how he had rescued them. That was quite clever, Mr. Danvers, Lucy said. He heard a smile in her voice. Did you come up with that all on your own? Monterey felt his cheeks flush. And for once he was grateful for the dark environment. He did not want to lie to Lucy and say he was indeed that clever. He knew the truth of the visions he saw. Where they came from, he did not know. But if he mentioned them, the stability of his mind might get questioned. I keep telling you Monterey is well known for his clever solutions for impossible situations, said Mac. Well, I for one am much appreciative, Mr. Danvers, however you devise your plot, said Mrs. Finch. I see that as a trickster, at every turn you seem to make it possible for us to take our next steps. Your quick scheming has now twice freed us from captivity. And, Mr. Sutherland, it seems I owe you an apology. I know we got off to a rough start and there are yet miles to go, but I see now that your recommendation of this thief was a good one for this journey's success. Thank you, ma'am, said Monterey, but we best be moving before my pride makes the buttons pop off my vest. Someone's going to come looking for these two eventually." It would be good if we were more than long gone. Monterey looked around in the dark again for the fire. I think I see the fire we built over that way. Stay close to one another, and I think we can make it back to the path safely. Then he put his hand in his pocket to grasp the pearl as a safety measure and led them back through the dense brush. Once we get back on the path, Monterey asked Mac, how much farther till we're out of this cursed wood? I don't know. Pete said a day or two. Maybe a day, then, if we can keep up the pace. It was several more minutes before they safely stood before the fire on the path. Without stopping for a rest, they extinguished the fire with handfuls of dirt and walked deeper into the forest. I was once listening to an interview, I believe it was with Billy Joel, and he was talking about, uh, I guess, songwriting and how different songs have different personalities or something like that. And he was saying, "I take a song like Piano Man, obviously it was written on a piano, and then it becomes sort of difficult to pull off that same song if you wanted to lead it by guitar or take a song that was initially written on a guitar, it's more difficult to then turn around and play it on the piano. It just sort of feels like the kind of song that gets written on the kind of instrument it got written on. um, if that makes any sense at all. And one of the things that I've, I've run into, uh, periodically, uh, are the way you write a book, kind of takes on the personality of the way that you write the book and it's hard to jimmy it out of one thing and into the other. For example, I'm recording this uh audiobook of Showdown in the Yukon and after a while, I, you know, I'm initially I'm just writing the thing. I you know, you get the characters into a situation and you need some people to have some conflict with. So you invent some goober heads who live in the woods of uh, the, the the forest and you don't think anything about it. And then you record it for an audiobook. And I remember coming across these two dudes in the recording, like, oh man, I got to come up with, more voices. Ugh, terrible at voices. I don't want to do more voices. But worse than that, I think on purpose. I hadn't really thought through who's speaking when, and um, you know, was Bo the first one, and was the other guy the second one, and I I don't know that I really thought through the actual speaking order. They were just two generic uh, gooberheads in the forest. And then when you do the audiobook, you actually have to have different voices for different people, which I I think I remember feeling this way when I recorded it, having re-listened to it. I think that's a it's a fair assessment to go. Completely destroyed it and not in a good way. Um, because uh, I don't know that I could tell the difference between the two guys and the way it was written, it's just not clear. So um uh you know, which one's the idiot and which one's the smart one of the two idiots, um, you know, just kind of gets uh, kind of confusing. But then I also remember uh, in recording this book, uh, knowing how difficult it was to tell the difference. I think it, it might even been this scene that said, I I don't know if I was to do another audiobook, how do I tell the characters apart? And... I think the way most audiobooks go, you read what was written pretty accurately. So you almost have to write the book in mind of the audiobook. And so I started making sure at the end of every sentence that the reader knew who said what. And so there's a lot of he says and a lot of she says and a lot of this character said and all that kind of thing. And I, I think it was uh, the Casey Jackson series. I had a friend uh, read it before uh, I hit publish and uh, she said there's a lot of a lot of saids in this book I think I think you can forego that and I think part of that is when you're reading the book you have the voices in your own head and you can kind of flow through the conversation and you don't need all the he said she saids. you can just kind of they get in the way they start to feel clunky and when you are reading in your head and so you can kind of bypass those like, oh, but what do I do about the audiobook so it's one of those, those weird things of the medium in which you start is going to kind of dictate uh, uh, when you apply it to other media, how, how that's going to go. So I haven't yet recorded any of the Casey Jackson in South Acres series. Um, I just now am at a spot where I might be able to start thinking about publishing uh, the sequel to Showdown in the Yukon. And I have not obviously started recording that either. So uh, I'm curious to know how how that's going to go, given how I think in the middle of Casey Jackson, I'm like, well, I don't know how much effort I hadn't even thought about doing a podcast yet. So I don't know how much effort I really want to put into audiobooks. And um, um, I don't think I. No, I didn't put that much thought into this is going to be an audiobook when I did uh, the sequel to showdown in the Yukon either so we'll see how it goes eventually we will be done with showdown in the Yukon and we will move on into other books and so uh, there you go but as it is, this is chapter 24 of Showdown in the Yukon, and I hope that the audio processing difference between week uh, or chapter 23 and 24 was not too uh, jarring for you. Uh, again, if you have enjoyed this book, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate if you would let other people know. Um, a great thing to do. do that whether it's you know just tap somebody on the shoulder and say you got to you got to listen to this or share the episode and say you got to listen to this but even just leaving a rating and review uh, that would do a, a world of good Also, uh, I would love to have you on my reader group. Uh, You can swing over to BrianThomasCropp.com and you can sign up uh, for that. You'll get the first 10 chapters of Showdown in the Yukon if you don't already have that book of your own. Uh, But feel free, you can share that with somebody else. I don't really care what you do with it. Once you download the PDF, share it around, don't mind. Um, But along with that, you get all of the first book of the Casey Jackson and South Acre series called In Spite of All the Danger, plus a couple of short stories I wrote as well. I'd love to get those in your hands. But more than that, I would love for um, us to be in a conversation with one another about once a month. I send out Uh, a newsletter that lets you know a little bit about what's going on with me. I'd love to know a little bit about what's going on with you as well. Um, But that's it for this week's episode of the Brian Thomas Crop podcast. And until next time, I hope you have a great one.